The sermon title this morning is Medical Mandates and the Christian Conscience. We're going to be starting in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You can go ahead and turn there if you have a Bible with you. Now kids, as, uh, as I'm preaching, I want you to listen in and talk to your parents about what was preached after the sermon, okay? After the service today, try to talk to your parents about any questions that you may have had. Parents, try to connect the dots for them about what's said today. Starting in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. There was a theologian lecturer named Dr. Greg Bonson that died in the 90s, and he made popular two statements for about 30 years. He went around talking about Christian ethics and how we make decisions in light of difficult questions in our day. And the two questions that he regularly brought up are these. Number one, who is in charge here? If you can answer the question, who is in charge here, with any sort of ethical question or with any difficulty that you face, who is in charge here, you can get an answer to that, then you can look to the person that's in charge and get clarity about what to do. The second question he asks is, by what standard? By what standard? So if you believe something, the question that's asked is, by what standard do you believe what you believe and say what you say? Founders Ministries used that phrase to title their documentary last year, By What Standard? And the question that is in front of us that we face every single day is, by what standard do we say what we say and do we believe what we believe? Is it the standard of myself, what makes sense to me, or is it a standard that's higher than us? Is it a standard that's only true for me, that's my truth, or, or do you get to live your life by your standard, which is your truth? So by what standard do we live and believe what we believe? These two questions can be asked about anything that we face in life. Any question about right or wrong, it must have an absolute standard to appeal to. It must have some standard to appeal to. So even if you believe there is no truth, you still have some standard that you appeal to to say why you're saying you believe there is no truth. Even if it is, well, I just don't think there is an absolute truth, that's your standard, what you think. That's your absolute standard. You believe you're in charge. And that what seems right to you is your absolute standard for the beliefs that you have. So we're all going to make decisions in life. And in light of everything in the last two years, we're going to have to make some decisions and appeal to some standards. We're going to either appeal to God or ourselves, my standard, or by the CDC standards or by the government standards. The government has absolute charge or by whatever institution that you work with or live under, or by the media standards, or by the wave of popular opinion standards. You're going to appeal to some sort of standard, and it's going to shape the way you live, the, live your life and the decisions that you make. So by what standard, or who's in charge here? Everyone will have a standard they appeal to. Now, when we get answers to those questions, who's in charge and by what standard, it's going to determine how we obey or disobey, how we make decisions, how we face what we face, and it's going to determine 
whether or not we obey or disobey lesser authorities than that standard or lesser authorities than who's in charge. So if God's in charge and there are lesser authorities established by God and they go against God, then who do we go with? By what standard do we do what we do? And especially if those lesser authorities, lesser authorities like governors, like local politicians or elected and appointed officials, if those lesser authorities are anti-God with a secular or godless view of the world, what are we going to do about it? What do we do when we face situations like mask mandates, like control over church gatherings, or vaccine mandates? What do we do? So I want to set up the situation, and then what we're going to look at today is three situations that we faced. So we're going to look at mask mandates, we're going to look at church gatherings being canceled, and then we're going to look at vaccine mandates. And then we're going to have God's word. We're going to appeal to a standard above any other standard. We're going to answer the question, who's in charge here? And then we're going to evaluate in light of all that how we are to look at mask mandates, church gatherings being canceled, and vaccine mandates. And then we're going to end with Romans 14, and we're going to appeal to liberty of conscience, and we're going to bring unity and clarity into this room, I think, by God's grace through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So first, the situation at hand. In 2020, something unprecedented happened. We've never seen it in the history of the world, from the oldest person to the youngest person. We have never seen, in light of COVID-19, quarantine restrictions or mask mandates given by the CDC for healthy people. We've never seen these these kind of restrictions before. It's new, it's unprecedented, and what's novel about them isn't that they were just laid upon people who had the sickness or had the illness, but it was laid upon the general population at hand. Now, people have appealed to, for instance, the Spanish flu in 1918 or 1917 and said, well, look, that's similar. When you compare the two viruses and death rates, there's really nothing similar about that. But also what's interesting is that Although there were recommendations of quarantine, there were no government mandates given to healthy people, even at the height of the Spanish flu. So what we faced in 2020 is something that's novel and new. And instead of getting those who are at the highest risk and saying and giving recommendations to them, the whole population was given mandates or recommendations, and that is novel. It's new. And since that, since that time, really since... 2020 and up into today, arguments have raged about the power of local authorities or lack thereof of local health departments, city and county and state officials. And it seems like everybody has been confused about where their regulations or where their um, authority starts and where their authority ends and who's to do what. I've talked to police officers and they said that there's been little to no con uh, conversations at all with health departments. And so really through all of this, it's like you get mandates from the television, from the governor, from your local authorities, from your workplace, your employer, or your state or your institution that you work with, and you really don't know where it's coming from or why it's coming. And some of the decisions seem so arbitrary. I think one of the things that we all thought was unique about last year was you can go over to a restaurant and you go out to eat in a restaurant that's fully enclosed in a tent, but you can't go inside of that building, even though that, that building is actually better at handling ventilation 
and you have to go and sit inside of a tent with heaters on with no ventilation instead. And I think everybody wondered, why is the tent safe? And anybody with a brain is asking those sorts of questions. And if we give, if we give the most grace possible to those who are making those decisions, maybe they're trying the best that they can to assimilate all that information and do the best thing at hand. But I think everybody was in unity that there were some weird things that's happened over the last year and a half. Even if you were wearing the double mask and the, you know, and the, uh, the, the visor, or like the man I saw in the street wearing goggles and a uh, um, snorkel. Everybody had questions and uh, still has questions about what, is, what works, what doesn't work, why are we doing this or why are we doing that. The world also did something unprecedented. Even non-believers started shouting through, through chattered teeth and through, through spitting mouths, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. In very unloving tones, but at least they said love your neighbor. And that was laid as a demand on everybody to put your mask on, to social distance, to do what you're told. If you really love your neighbor... You have to do what you're told and not just do what God says. You have to do what we say if you love your neighbor. And by the way, loving your neighbor, you never have to sacrifice obedience to God to love your neighbor. Ever. And so obeying God by gathering with the saints is never not loving to your neighbor. It's a sidebar. So the question, I think, in the swirling confusion is who's in charge? So what Greg Bonson asked. Who's in charge here? Is it our city officials? Is it our governor? Is it the president of the United States? Is it the World Health Alliance or World Health Organization? Is it the CDC? Is it Holy Father Fauci? Who is in charge here? That's the last thing I'll say. That's I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. Um, so who's in charge? Okay, that's a huge question. The loudest voices, the government, the TV propaganda machines who's in charge then we had church services canceled recommended to be canceled and then we had pastors meeting we canceled for two weeks and then started to gather in the parking lot over at Grace Presbyterian Church for about four or five weeks before we started live again and we did that against protocol from the city and we did that against protocol from the CDC and this is when many conversations about Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 begin to pop up. And in light of those passages, we'll look at Romans 13 here a little bit. Um, in light of those passages, it was argued by some that we have to obey governing authorities in an almost unlimited manner. And so questions started with Romans 13. How do we obey or do we obey? And what's the, what's the delegated authority and responsibility of civil government? And what are the regulations there? Is it only if they ask us to not preach the gospel that we have to, uh, to, to, to walk in simple disobedience? And so what do we do? And then at what point do we appeal to Acts 5.29 when Peter says we must obey God rather than man? And you have these two principles at work. You have submission to governing authorities that were established by God, but then you also have, have it declared that they are God's servant to punish the evildoer and reward the good. They are not given the authority over ecclesi ecclesiastical services. They're not given the authority over the local church. They're not given that authority by God in, the, in his word. They're given authority to, to punish the evildoer and reward the good. So what is the principle we obey God over man have to do with what we face over the last year and a half. So how do we face this and how do these things go together? 
And then, to make things even a little bit more convoluted, in America we have this thing you might have heard of, I think uh, newer people that are educated right now, and maybe over the last 20 years may not have, but we have this thing called the Constitution of the United States of America. We have this thing called the First Amendment that we'll read here in a little bit. The law of the land. It's our governing document, document in this country. We do not have kings. We do not have queens. We do not have princes and princesses. Prince, princess and princess. Princes and princess. We don't have a monarchy here. We have a constitutional republic. And do elected and appointed officials dis to get to disregard the Constitution in light of a virus no matter how deadly it is? Even if a virus kills 9 out of 10 people in this country and 90% are dead and 10% are alive, does the Constitution get to be set aside in light of that? So everybody had questions. The question that Dr. Greg Bonson didn't mention his name a third time would declare is who's in charge here? Who's in charge? We need somebody to lead us. We need something to appeal to. And then... We're now facing vaccine mandates. I saw that SIH this week has laid down vaccine mandates on their employers and or employees, all of their employees and student workers as well. I know that federal employees are facing this and even the military, which is now allowing some religious exemptions, which is a very good thing. Many were faced with a dishonorable discharge or receiving the vaccine. And so this is definitely new ter territory for us in the sense that we have private companies even mandating vaccines. And so we're faced again with something very unprecedented. Now, instead of focusing on and reducing common comorbidities that were associated with COVID deaths, and instead of building natural immunities, the United States and the world has rushed to get this vaccine out. We'll talk about the three vaccines here in a little bit. Now, during the process, before and leading up to vaccine mandates, it's important to realize that hospitals were largely shut down because of COVID. And so people who had cancer or didn't know they had cancer, it went undetected or untreated or other sorts of disease. They couldn't get regular medical care or checks or updates because the hospitals were largely shut down. And what we saw as a trade-off for locking everybody down and, and all the mandates that came down from our government is we saw that depression and suicide skyrocketed. Domestic abuse, drug abuse skyrocketed. And it ended up being the accepted trade-off from mass media and a lot of the United States that... Suicide, in fact, teen suicide, there were more te teens that killed, suicide deaths were higher than COVID deaths by like many, 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 many times over in our country. That was an accepted trade-off for the control that was put upon the people. But the world still waited and now we have three recommended CDC recommended vaccines in our country the Pfizer Pfizer vaccine the Moderna vaccine by the way Moderna does not require mandated vaccines for their staff neither does the White House by the way Johnson and Johnson 
was the third vaccine that came out, a company that was putting asbestos in baby powder for about 40 years, by the way. Finally lost that, lost about $7 billion. The incentives for getting this vaccine were massive. It guaranteed billions upon billions upon billions of dollars to the companies that could get them out because it would come with the backing of the United States government. Now, we have mandates, vaccine mandates that are here, and they continue to come down, they continue to roll out, and we're in the summer. And when we move into the fall and into the winter, these, these vaccine mandates are going to, I think, even be more heavy-handed. Now, I want you to hear me say this, and we're going to get to this at the end. If, you've, if you're pro-vaccine, this isn't primarily about you getting the vaccination after knowing what's in it, after praying and going and get vaccinated for COVID-19. If you've done that, this isn't saying you should be condemned. This is not saying that. But what we will end up at today is saying that we should all be against mandated vaccines, against religious convictions. Okay? There's a big difference between an available vaccine that you can get upon your own discretion and then an employer coming to you or anyone coming to you and saying, you have to get this. That's a big difference. And so that's where we're going today. Federal employees, again, apart from the White House staff, are being required to be vaccinated. And these mandates are coercive. You cannot get around that. When you put people in the position to say, you will get this or be fired... That is coercion. There's no other way to say it. And so with everything over the last year and a half, millions of people are crying out for concrete answers. And honestly, the church has been floundering, confused, and divided. You've seen a line in the sand, and you've seen churches apostatize. You've seen pastors just get online with whatever's being told to them as well. And then you've seen some churches that I've been surprised by, and I think even across denominational lines, who are answering the question, by what standard and who's in charge here, and they're saying, wait a minute, we're going to go to God's word and see what God's word has to say about that, and then we're going to obey God and let everything else get behind that. We're going to see what God has to say. So it's been interesting to see that although there has been division, there's been also a lot of unity. It's almost as if we need a standard to appeal to. It's almost as if we need somebody to be in charge. Somebody to lead us. Well, praise God, we have his word. And we have the king of the universe that is our king of kings and is the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us to lead us. And we have God's word to direct us. And the passage I opened with tells us that God's word equips us for every good work God would call us to. I want to read it again. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16. This is, again, the word of the Lord. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, something that we need to know is that God's word is authoritative, not just for this room, not just for Christians, but for everyone that's ever breathed on this planet. God's word is authoritative whether the person recognizes the authority of God or not. Jesus is king whether you accept him as king or not. And we have to start with this 
truth that Jesus is Lord of all, that Jesus is Lord, that he, excuse, excuse me, just burped in the middle of a sermon. <laughs> Jesus is the king. And it doesn't matter if you accept that or not. It doesn't change it or not. Truth is truth, whether it's apprehended or accepted by someone or not. The pursuit of truth used to be a universal goal of education, not the pursuit of your truth. There's a massive difference. And so when we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, we hear that all Scripture is God-breathed. 66 books of the Bible, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. All of it is breathed out by God. The Bible is claiming about itself that it is the very breath of God. And when you get to God's Word, God's Word has no, score, no, it has no problem whatsoever being circular in its reasoning. It tells us about itself. It speaks about itself. God speaks about himself and says, I am the authority. It's all God breathed. And I'm claiming that about myself. And there's no other authorities that you have to appeal to. We certainly can look at, at church history. We can certainly look at history and the historical reliability of the manuscripts of the New and the Old Testament. We can look at translation lines and see that there's no other historical works in all of the world that even come close to the reliability of our Bible, the Bible. But the, the first and central place for our understanding and our foundation for the authority of God's Word doesn't come from other authorities. It comes from God Himself. And God has declared, this is my Word. It's God-breathed. All of it is God-breathed. All of it is equally God-breathed. And when we think about who's in charge here, we have a clear answer from God's Word saying... I'm in charge here. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for what? Good life lessons, an attaboy or a little encouragement here and there, a vitamin for your life spiritually, or is it profitable for everything that God would call you to? And that's what it says. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. And how complete is this correction, reproof, or teaching and training in righteousness? How complete is it? Is it just some compartmentalized aspect of our life? Or is it for everything that God would call us to? At work, at school, growing up in our home, knowing how to invest, knowing how to think multi-generationally, knowing how to do everything that you would call a good work the Bible is saying that this is profitable not just for a compartmentalized aspect of your life, but for everything God would call you to. It says it clearly, that the man of God may be complete. Not partial, but complete. This gives us everything we need to be complete, and not just complete, but equipped for every good work. So what good work is there when you leave these doors? Well, there's good work to be done the rest of this day. It's called rest. The Lord's Day. Worship and rest. There's good work to be done Monday through Saturday. There's sweat that's going to be coming out of your forehead, men and women, as you're outside gardening in your garden, as you're doing the work God's called you to do. Whatever it is, there's good work to be done. There's caring for your neighbor. Actual caring for your neighbor that needs to be done. There's taking care of the lady across the street. 
There's being kind to the person at work that everybody hates. There's looking out for the kid at school that's bullied all the time. Or at home if you're at school. Or in, your, in college, it's the, the nerdy kid sitting by himself all the time. Get to know that kid. The Bible gives you everything you need to be equipped for every single good work. This is how the Holy Spirit works in us. Reminding us of the very words that he wrote. And at some point it dawns on the Christian. At some point it needs to dawn on the Christian and every single Christian that the Bible is the objective word of God. God has spoken. He's not silent to you. He is speaking to you. And as we see these words on the page, we're hearing the words of God. And it equips us for every single good work. And it's profitable for all of these things. So how does it help me face and do good works in 2020 and 2021? Well, it equips us. All of us encouraged for every good work. So God's word, if verse 17 is true and we know it is, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, that means that God's word has everything in it explicitly or implicitly through principles and the leading of the Holy Spirit to be complete and to equip you for everything he would call you to. That means that the Bible has something to say about how we face and approach masks Mask mandates, vaccine mandates, canceling of services, and everything else in between. God's word is complete to help us know what we are to do. So who's in charge? God is. By what standard do we live our lives? By God's word. Whatever God says is right. So what does God say about these issues? First, we're going to look at civil government and Romans 13, 1 through 4. So we're going to work through Romans 13, 1 through 4 and really bring some clarity to that because, and as you think of 1 Peter chapter 2, these two passages, when we go into the fall and into the winter, this is going to be so important for us. Romans 13, 1 through 4. And then when we see how God is in charge here, we're going to have answers then to how we face what we're facing. Romans 13, 1 through 4, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but for bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Here's a clear passage about capital punishment, by the way. If you are uneasy with capital punishment, then I would call you to that verse and just submit to God's word. There are some crimes in the Old Testament and into the New that deserve death in this life. He does not, the the governor, those in authority, do not spare the sword in vain. So we're told to be subject to governing authorities. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. Now, this is really important. When Paul wrote this, he was not living in a constitutional republic. He was living under the rule of an empire and an emperor. The 
passage here is crucial because in any given time, in any given society, governing authorities are going to look different. And we are going to be responsible to honor those governing authorities, whoever those governing authorities are. The passage is unbelievably clear. But the question that has to be asked and answered is, who are the governing authorities in America? Do we have kings? Do we have emperors? Is the word of the king the law? Or are all elected and appointed officials underneath a higher law, a law of the land? And we know in America, the first three words of the Constitution of the United States are? We the people. We the people. We have governing responsibilities in this country. Elected and appointed officials are representatives of the people, not overlords of the people. They are public servants. And in that, even with that, no matter what society you live in, no matter who your governors are, how your political system is structured, we know that as Christians, we have Christ as king. Even in Roman rule, Christians were being slaughtered because they were declaring Christ as king. An emperor, you have a king above you. Christ is king. Caesar is not king. Today, largely, especially in evangelical circles, just that declaration alone would be looked at as resistance. It's not resistance to declare Christ is king, even under an empire rule. We have no king but Christ. And in this country, we have no emperor. We have a constitution that our elected appointed our officials are under and responsible to abide by. Here's the truth. We must not live like we have emperors. If we live like we have kings, if we give Governor Pritzker or the mayor of this city an authority that's not rightly theirs, then we are disobeying Romans 13. If we let them violate the Constitution, if, they, if we let them take away liberties given to us in the Constitution, the law of the land, we are the ones that violate Romans 13. Because we are not governing as we should. We have governing responsibilities in this land. We are not subjects in this nation. We are citizens, and that is a massive difference. We are citizens with delegated responsibilities, and we are responsible to hold elected and appointed officials accountable to the law of God and the Constitution of the United States of America. And with that authority, we must wield it well. We should be a to bad conduct, and we should reward good conduct. We should not allow, as citizens of America, we should not allow bad conduct to run rampant. We should not allow politicians to take things from us. We shouldn't allow them to reward evil and punish good. They are God's servants, and they will be held accountable to God's law, not the law of their opinion. Now, it's important there's something else here that is applicable to every single person throughout the world, no matter where you live, not just the United States of America in 2021. For some reason, over the last year and a half, Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 have been used to defend unlimited obedience to government with the exception of preaching the gospel. You probably have heard this. We obey unless they tell us to not preach the gospel. That is false across the board. 
Matthew Trella, who wrote The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates, that book we're going to get 30 copies of and have for you, one for each household, and if we need more, we'll buy them. But he helped me understand this, how foolish unlimited obedience is in light of the biblical commands to wives and children. Wives are commanded to submit to their husbands, and they're given no conditions. There's no conditions given. It's not submit to your Submit to your husbands if you want to. It's, the passage is clear. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. No conditions given. And yet, we know, we understand that there are limits to that submission. Because if the husband wants the wife to disobey God and to do something else besides what God has commanded, that wife should obey God and disregard what her husband is saying. We all know that. There's an underlying principle that's at work with those unconditional statements. Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. If you tell your ch child to go rob a bank, your child should not obey you. There are limits to that authority, even though it's an unconditional statement. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's no conditions given to that. Obey. That's the commandment. And children, listen, if you hear anything, walk away today knowing that God has called you to obey your parents. God speaks to you. In fact, kids, everybody look at me. Every kid in the room, look at me. God gives you really clear words. God speaks to you, and he tells you to obey your parents. And that is a good thing. Now, parents, you can all just thank me later for this. Obey your parents. That's what God calls you to. It's a really, really good thing. But parents, the obligation that comes with that authority given to you is that you use that authority wisely. That you raise your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That you don't ask them to do something that violates God's commandments. Don't put them in the position to obey you over, or disobey you, or excuse me, obey you over God. Don't put them in that position, that situation. Even though no conditional statements are given, we know that children are still to obey God over men. But for some reason, so many think that unlimited obedience is to be given to the government even when they overstep their authority according to the law of the land and according to God's word. But we see in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter answered back to those in authority. Peter and the apostle answered we must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. It's our guiding principle in any government system. Even if we had rulers and authorities over us, and it was a totalitarian rule, and it was an emperor, and we had to do everything he said, and if he said a jump, and we ask how high, we have to do that. The moment that king says, disobey God, we stand with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, we'll walk into the furnace. And we disobey men, and we obey God. No matter what the cost no matter where in the Bible, we're told that the government has, no matter where, no, excuse me, nowhere in the Bible, and this is important, are we told that the government has authority, any authority, over the local church and how we worship. Nowhere, there's not one verse that says that the state or the government or any institution has authority over local churches to tell us anything. God's word dictates how we worship. We're going to obey God over men within the church, and we're going to obey God over men in society. The state does not get to tell us to put a mask on when we worship. They don't get to tell us 
to not sing. They don't get to tell us we can't gather. They don't get to tell us that we cannot receive communion. Why? Because God has not given them authority over the church. God has appointed elders for each church and has given us his word that we are to preach and live by. So when the state tries to touch that, they are out of line. God's word is our authority. So now let's look at masks, church gatherings, and vaccines according to God's word, our authority. Where in the Bible is the state given responsibility over the worship gathering? You've already said that. Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 give governing authorities civic responsibilities regarding obedience and disobedience to the law, but on rewarding the good and punishing the evil. That's what they are given the responsibility and the task to do. Reward the good, punish the evil. It does not give them authority over the church. You can look far and wide and do your Bible reading throughout the year, and you'll never find a verse that says, your city mayor has authority over what you do. Nowhere. The principles we get from the Bible in Leviticus 13 through 16 declares to us that quarantines are for the sick, not for the well. When the state tells us that we have to put masks on and we have to social distance, we have a verse, James chapter 5, verse 14, that says the sick are, called, are to call the elders and the elders are to come to them and pray and touch their anointing with oil. We are to touch the sick. Pastors are not allowed by God to social distance. We're not allowed to. So if they're sick, they stay home and they can call us. And any one of these people who are sick, even with COVID, if any one of these families said, we want the elders to come and pray, we would be there. Amen. If it's the black plague and our death was almost guaranteed, we would be there. Amen. Because God tells us to. We're going to come to different conclusions on masks. I realize that. That's why we're going to end with liberty of conscience. But in here, the state has nothing to say to us about what we do in here. Nothing. What about church gatherings? Church gatherings were canceled. When the state says you can't meet together for worship, what, by what standard? Who's in charge here? Is the state in charge? Is the CDC in charge? And they're telling us we can't gather with more than 10 people. You have to have masks on. You probably can't even look at each other. And you certainly can't, you know, touch each other's shoulder, handshake, or greet with each other with a holy kiss. Well, what do you say? What do you do? Our response back is simple. They say, you can't meet together. You can't gather. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do not neglect meeting together. Don't. So if they say you can't, we say we can. God tells us to. And respectfully, we resist that lawless authority that's violating the law, and we obey God. Now, what about vaccine mandates? The Bible does not give authority of per personal conscience, like your conscience, it does not give that power to the state. There are many reasons why a person would be concerned about the COVID vaccinations. Many reasons. We're going to come to different conclusions on this. You may end up getting the vaccine. You may hear this and say, I still don't have a problem with it. That's between you and the Lord. 
But here's why some people have, myself included, big concerns. Pfizer and BioNTech, the Pfizer vaccine, was protein tested using the abortive derived cell line HEK-293. This information is by way of the Loiser Institute. The Moderna vaccine was a protein tested using the abortive-derived cell line HEK-293, also coming by way of the Loiser Institute. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine has publicly admitted to using the cell line PERC6, published in the Janssen web website and can be found on the Loiser Institute as well. All three, not just one, all three of the COVID vaccines are built on, at least built on, research done that used abortion-based research. There is a dark underbelly of the vaccine business, to broaden this out to all vaccines in general, that warrant your careful study and the direction of the Holy Spirit as you study it, because it is a very, very dark, dark and deep rabbit hole that you can go down that is cited and sourced and built off the murder of babies. And people are making billions. Billions. April 16th of this year, the Biden administration reversed the ban on baby tissue research that was established in 2019 by the Trump administration. Many have said, well, all the abortive research or the fetal cell research was done back in the 60s and 70s. That's not done today. That is a lie. It was ended in 2019, and it just got ramped back up April of this year. I don't know if you saw this, but in Pennsylvania, there was a government-funded, up to 40-week-old, I'd be, be careful. You can research this, but um, you can't... The, Alive children, and up to 40 weeks, and born alive, and just you just need to look it, look it up, Dis, dismemberment that the government has paid for. Yes. So it goes pretty deep. So there's a lot of prayer and research that needs to be looked into, and we're going to come again to different conclusions. Abortion and the vaccine industry are in cahoots again, and because of this, many see a lack of wisdom in rushing into vaccines without any long-term testing and built on such feeble foundations. And then in Christianity, there's a division on what we are to do about it. Many Christians, myself included, do not think it's wise for me and my family to receive any medicine that's not tested by time. Because of this, mandates that would be required of me, or you who agree with me on those convictions, because of those concerns, it would be wrong for anyone to mandate that I receive the COVID vaccine. Now, some of you don't have those same convictions. Many Christians, godly people, hate the vaccine industry and hate that it's so t heavily tied into abortion, but argue, 
make the argument, the biblical case, that what God, what the enemy means for evil, God uses for good. So many Christians are going to see an overall good from COVID vaccinations and will be convinced by that. I disagree with that. You're going to disagree with me. But I want us to unify these two groups, those who are like myself that are saying, I can't do this in good conscience. And I won't have this for my family in good conscience. And those Christians who are saying, I know, I don't like this. Every, every Christian should be against fetal research, abortion research for vaccines. There's nobody here that would be allowed. You cannot say, yeah, that's okay. That's, that's not allowed. Christians don't have that position. But we're going to come to different conclusions then about, okay, if, if I get this or I don't. So I want to unify us specifically looking at mandated vaccines, and I want you to see why they're wrong and sinful for three big reasons. Yes, I said that, wrong and sinful for three big reasons. Number one, they require some people, through coercion, to violate their conscience. Number two, the First Amendment of the United States of America. And number three, the violation of the 1947 Nuremberg Code. Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through 5. This again is the word of the Lord. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant, on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. Number one, this provides a principle for us about how we are to live our lives and also a principle of the liberty of the Christian conscience, how the Christian conscience works. Now, it's specifically talking about food, but this principle is applicable everywhere. The passage gives us direction on how Christians are to handle differences with secondary conclusions on matters they may agree with in principle. And in the area of Christian liberty, whatever areas those things are, we do not pass judgment on one another. It says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? As Christians, then, second part of verse 4, it is before his own master that he stands or falls. When we face things like this, Jesus is our master, and we're all his servants. And there's going to be some things we disagree with. And in those disagreements, we have to trust that Jesus, his master, will deal with him individually or her. You have to make these decisions before a holy God. And you have to pray and make the best decisions possible. But the whole point is, Christian man, or excuse me, vaccine mandates violate, violate, Christian liberty. You're accountable to your own master. So here's what we all must agree on. Mandating compliance when that mandate violates a Christian conscience is wrong. Maybe it doesn't violate your conscience. But mandating it to somebody else, another brother or sister in Christ, if we were to mandate food convictions or alcohol convictions or mandate convictions on eschatology or mandate other convictions that we may share or have, on to other people, that would not be right. That's not right. 
The London Baptist Confession, one of the reasons we wanted to provide this for you is because it's so helpful. Listen to what it says in chapter 14, verse 2, and you'll see the sources underneath each chapter and then each section in each chapter. This is from chapter 14, section 2. God alone is Lord of the conscience and hath left it free from the doctrines and the commandments of men which are in anything contrary to his word or not contained in it. Here's what that means. The Christian is free of conscience... If any person comes up with a law or command that's not found explicitly in God's word it's, or anything that's contrary or not in God's word and it's a commandment of man laid upon the Christian, okay, he is free. The Christian is free from those commandments. You don't have to follow the commandments of men if it violates your conscience. Free from those commandments and it says so that to believe such doctrines or obey such commands out of a conscience is to betray liberty of conscience and requiring of an implicit faith or an absolute blind obedience is to destroy the liberty of conscience and reason also. So you don't have to, with the commandments of men not found in the scriptures, feel an internal compulsion to obey it if God's word isn't clear on it. And if you are feeling compelled by those commandments of men, you need to know today you don't have to be compelled to do that. Vaccine mandates are a violation of Christian liberty of conscience. This is the chief reason that va vaccine mandates are wrong because it demands obedience to an employer or a government instead of following the conscience of that believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who has a master, which is Jesus. That's the chief reason that they're wrong. Secondly, which is also a biblical reason, we have the Constitution of the United States of America. And because that is the law over our employers or employees or our elected and appointed officials, we go with the Constitution over what elected appointed officials say. If they say things that are in violation of the Constitution, we should disregard them. No. This is what the Constitution says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's crucial. Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Or abridging the freedom of, spree of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Of grievances. Therefore, the government can't mandate cannot mandate the free expression of our faith. They can't. That, that's not within their delegated authority. We the people did not give them the authority to do that. We the people established the Constitution of the United States of America and we did not give them that authority. Therefore, vaccine mandates are a violation, if that is your conscience, a violation of the free exercise of the Christian religion, and then the government or employer has no right to say anything whatsoever. The conversation should be done and or over with. And in a sane, rational society, it'd be like, oh yeah, duh, that's, that's, that's of course, the, it's a violation of, of the First Amendment of the Constitution, so we can't do that. The third reason that vaccine mandates are wrong and sinful is it is a violation of the Nuremberg Code adopted in 1947 by the United States government and it was recognized even as international law 
put in code after, put in place after the Nazi regime, because the Third Reich was experimenting on people with medicines and all sorts of things and doing unimaginable things to people and using people as the test dummies. By the way, that still happens today through voluntary consent. But Article 1 with the Nuremberg Code says this, the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. This means that a person involved should have legal capacity to give consent. This is talking about medical treatment should be so situated as to be able to exercise the free power of choice without the intervention or any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreach, overreach, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion, and should not and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him to make an, an understanding and enlightened decision. Vaccine mandates are by way of coercion. And to this day, it's still very hard, almost impossible, to actually find out what is the ingredients of any of these vaccines that are out. So to mandate that upon us is through coercion, and it is overreach. Now, let's unify. Hopefully we've clarified. Let's unify. By the way, if you're new with us, this is so rare I don't do this. I don't preach sermons like this. I was commissioned by the elders to do this because we're going to provide you with what Adam put together, which is a, if you so choose to pursue a religious exemption with your employer or your school, we have a phenomenal document that's been looked at by a Christian lawyer, and the Christian lawyer was very impressed by the work that Adam did to put this together. I'm so thankful for his hard work. You can take that even if you don't have the same... same um, Conclusions. I think it would be good for you to read over and to see. It's just a, it's a tremendous uh, blessing. And I think it's going to be a help not just for our church but beyond as well. So let's bring unity as we close this out. Christians are going to come to different conclusions about the vaccines and the COVID vaccine specifically. We're going to come to those. I get that. All right? And in coming to those different conclusions, we may be very confused as to how a brother or sister in Christ is coming to a different conclusions both, both ways. Here's what's happening in the world, though. Those who are coming to different conclusions, you get it. It's memes, mockery. It's, they're, you know, they're dumb. No, they're dumb. You guys get that kind of division. But in the body of Christ, we share in something really special, something that's so much bigger than that. We share in the body and the blood of Jesus. And so I'm pleading, even though we're going to have strong convictions. Romans 14 says, each of, when you sh- each of you should be fully convinced in his own mind. Fully convinced of your convictions. That means you don't flippantly hold a conviction. If somebody uh, asks you, why do you have that conviction about that particular thing or doctoral issue, you should say, this is the reason I have this conviction. Open your Bible and say, this is why I have that conviction. We may disagree on that conviction on secondary issue or tertiary issues. However, you're able to say, this is why I'm convinced of this position. We're not slipshod in anything we believe. We don't believe it just because my mama and my daddy and my grandma and grandpa. We, we are convinced because this is what God's word, this is what it seems to say in this secondary or tertiary issue. We, we are fully convinced in our own mind. So the vaccine itself isn't necessarily the central doctrinal issue. We must give each other grace. 
We must give each other grace. You can challenge each other. You can come to different conclusions. But we have to give each other other grace. We must not judge each other. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And I'm going to encourage you in this season in 2020 and 2021, rally around the big things we can rally around. There is so much to unify about what I just said. There's so much in God's word we can rally around and unify around. With this thing in particular, it could be extremely, extremely divisive. But Christians need to unite around the fact that vaccine mandates are a violation of God's law and the Constitution of the United States. I think we should all be able to unify around that. We have to push back. We have to fight it. Compliance to man's law has a searing effect on our consciences. Hear me say this. It is so crucial. I wish everybody in the country could hear this. Compliance to doctrines of men and to man's law as if they are the highest law of the land have a searing effect to our personal conscience. And one day, you might wake up after years of small concessions after another to realize you have abandoned the one true God and now you are simply a minion of the state and a worshiper of the Most High God who is not the God of the universe, but it is a totalitarian government who dictates everything you do. In one concession after another, you just say, okay, 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 I got to keep my job, I got to keep my job, I got to keep my job, until you wake up and you've abandoned the God of the universe. And we have to remember, no matter what comes down the line, I mean, just draw the line in the sand in your head, in your heart, we have to remember that Jesus is king, our allegiance is to him, we will not bow down to unholy demands from false gods or tyrants. Jesus is in charge, and this is our standard, and we will live and die by that. Let's pray.